It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday up and down the West Coast. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton along with my co-host, the legend John Riley. We welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast from our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Studios in San Diego. John, we got a ton of topics on the table, and everybody's probably got an opinion about what we're going to discuss today. Before we start, I just want you to explain to everybody who watches us on live stream how they can join us for Fans Forum and be part of our Monday bonus podcast. Okay, so you can get involved in Fans Forum. You know, we had a big college football and NFL weekend. If you got questions or comments for Hacksaw, just type them into the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. And a reminder, because we put a lot of stuff on our YouTube channel every day of the week, and we want you, we need you, we demand that you subscribe <laughs> and make sure you share with all your friends, because you're all on social media, Tell them, explain to them what we do with our podcast, Mondays and Thursdays, and what we do with my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, because I write a ton on that every day. And we're marching towards 3,000 subscribers, which is unbelievable in about an 11-month window. And because John introduced me, dragged me kicking and screaming into Instagram, we're almost to 12 thousand viewers on our Instagram page. Well, we actually crossed 12,000 followers. We just crossed the the, the threshold. (laughs) So anyhow, we thank you for being part of our team, but join us in Fans Forum when we're done. Our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Fix it, build it. You will enjoy it in the fall. Nine locations to serve you. John, let's start. With everybody's hot topic today as it relates to the NFL. Okay, the, the, the L.A. Chargers. Boy, that game was a shootout, and it didn't end the way we thought it was. And your favorite term resurfaced again, chargering. <laughs> yes. And for fans who don't know, chargering is if something can go wrong with the Chargers, they can flip a win into a loss, and they continue to do it. And here they lose 36-34 to the Miami Dolphins on Sunday, a game in which they forfeited the lead four different times in the game and then eventually lost it. It was bombs away. There were a total of seven different lead changes in the game. It was a defensive disaster. And the last time I checked, Brandon Staley's resume when he was hired as the Chargers coach coming from the Rams was his ability as a defensive guru, Haven't seen much of that at all. Tua Tagovailoa, 466 yards. Wow. Under center, out of the shotgun, ball out of there quick. Tyreek Hill, typical Tyreek Hill, 11 catches, 215 yards, and a bunch of TTs. Miami had 536 yards in offense. On the defensive side of the football, J.C. Jackson... The high-priced free agent cornerback who came from New England, played poorly last year, then got hurt, went through the rehab, came back in preseason, all this bravado, I'm healthy, I'm back, I'm going to be who I used to be. 
He gave up receptions of 35, 35, and 40 yards, a bad pass interference penalty at the end of the first half on a meaningless pass that was overthrown, and then he picks off an errant pass in the end zone, and instead of kneeling down to crush the rally, tries to run the sucker out, gets knocked out of bounds at the five-yard line, Chargers bad field position, can't move the football, and Miami scores off that next possession. J.C. Jackson just has been a massive disappointment. And I will tell you, somebody needs to ask the question, massive mistake, because I sure haven't seen anything from him. Last year, your young cornerback Michael Davis had been there a couple of years, thought made a big jump in terms of consistency. They ran all over him yesterday. He gave up seven receptions in that game. Miami, 19 plays of plus 10 yards. Miami, eight pass plays of plus 20. Every time I looked up, guys were running open. It was amazing, the blown coverages, the inability to stay with those guys. And not to be outdone, the linebackers gave up six pass completions. Tua, 46 drops in the pocket to throw. Got touched once. One time. Once. No sacks. Three hits. Wow. Hardly Again, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack still on the team? Yeah, you kind of wonder. Uh, there we go. Uh, Justin Herbert threw for 226, a touchdown, uh, but a terrible grounding penalty. Obviously, the offensive line ran block really well. I mean, Austin Eckler ran for a buck 17. Joshua Kelly came off the bench, ran for 91. Charger offense kept Miami's defense on the field for 76 snaps. And yet they lost the game. The Bolts did. Uh, it was I was just an atrocious loss, <laughs> and I I'm impressed with Brandon Staley, but I'm just starting to wonder because this is the third year John we've seen this junk. Is this the right guy to be the Chargers head coach? Where's the defense that was stapled to the front of his resume about how good he was going to be? Because we have not seen any of it. And this is a game, granted, Tua's got firepower and Tua's down the field. This is a game they should have won, had to win, could have won, did not win. And now they got to go on the road to go play Tennessee. Response. The J.C. Jackson penalty at the end of the first half was horrible. <laughs> you know, and, and there was no point in shoving him. And that gave them the P.I. And then they were set up for field goal position with no time left. I mean, if that doesn't happen, the Chargers win. And there's a lot of other cases where if that doesn't happen, the Chargers win. So it's just typical Spanos <laughs> Chargers curse. It just keeps happening and it's comical. But, you know, I'll tell you what, man, uh, Tyreek Hill, that dude is fast. And boy, can he make plays for a little guy. And, uh, you know, Tua is impressive, you know, and the fact that he barely got touched. They must have made, you know, Miami must have really made some changes in the way they structured their offensive line to protect him. Well, they also had Tua spend a chunk of the summer with Michael Vick. And we talked about this prior, that the sales pitch was get the ball out. So they went to a much quicker thing. They also ran some formations I'd never seen before. Usually, teams are at the line of scrimmage, and they'll motion guys, and Mm -hmm. the defense will respond. What Miami did was they sat there in a three-point stance, and a split second before the ball was snapped, they put a guy in motion, which made the Charger defense stutter, wait, 
have to look and react. And bingo, Tyreek and those guys were Waddle were off the line of scrimmage. And those guys were running to open seams, and the Chargers just never, never reacted. I, I, you know, there's only so many pass routes you can run. And these guys have played a lot, and I look at a lot of video. You can't tell me that these are strange pass packages, slants and crossing patterns and mm-hmm. outs. Everybody runs that stuff. By this point in time, that secondary should be able to identify how we're going to cover it, and they didn't. And I, I hugely question the intellect, the football intelligence of J.C. Jackson because he's done so many stupid things <laughs> yes. in the four or five games he played last year before mm-hmm. he got hurt and what we just saw on opening day. Well, Lee, I have a question for you. So at the very end of the game, when they missed the extra point and it was looking like there was an opportunity, they just need a field goal to win, the offensive line just collapsed and, and you know, the, you know, the, the, Herbert had no chance well, what they, happened there? They ran delayed blitzes. Vic Fangio does not have a history of blitzing. The defensive coordinator of Miami was at Denver. He's got a great track reputation. He doesn't send guys. He's not a crazy man. But what they did was they had their defensive front line up against the Chargers' offensive line. And the Chargers said, okay, pre-snap read, this is who we're blocking, this is who we're doubling, etc." But what they did was, as the ball was snapped, they sent a safety or they sent a linebacker through a gap. Hmm. And this is probably coming from film study. If we line up our nose tackle a certain way at a certain angle, the Chargers will probably double them. And they kept doing that during the course of the game, I'm sure. All of a sudden, Fangio says, okay, we're going to line up again. The center and the guard are going to double on that nose tackle, and there will be a gap. Here comes that linebacker right through the gap on a delayed blitz, and he comes unblocked. And he was in the face of Justin Herbert just like that. I, I swear, this is why they study video till their eyes water, is you look for trends, you look for trends, you look for trends. I swear that's what happened. Fangio said, we're going to show them this formation. They've seen it during the game. They're going to block it a certain way. And now we're going to add an inside safety coming on a delay blitz. <laughs> and with the two sacks in three snaps, game over. Chargering. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Okay, we go from that. Let's talk about the other games this weekend because there were some surprises. Yeah, big surprises. A lot of teams here did better than we expected. I, uh, yeah, this is nice headline. Big winners. And how'd they do it? Let's talk about it. Uh, the Browns choked Cincinnati. That was a real surprise to me. But this is a byproduct of Joe Burrow not having played in any games and having had less than a week of full-speed practice with the Bengals because of calf issues. Cincinnati just had no rhythm, no flow, no nothing. And Cleveland's got Deshaun Watson, and Cleveland's got the heavy-duty running back Nick Chubb, and Cleveland's got Miles Garrett in a defense that gets after it. And Joe Burrow looked like he was in slow motion. It looked, it looked as if there was nothing that they had prepared for because he had hardly practiced. So Cleveland wins big. Really bad loss for Cincinnati opening game of the season. I know it's only the first weekend of the season. It's not the end of the world yet. San Francisco. I got to believe, and we talked about this when we did the NFL preview last week, I think 49ers most complete team in the league. And they just went into Pittsburgh and they just pounded the Steelers. I mean, it was 27 nothing before you went to the refrigerator to get your first <laughs> glass of Mountain Dew. Um 
341 yards in total offense. Uh, Brock Purdy, 220 yards passing. Christian McCaffrey, 65-yard touchdown bolt, 152 yards rushing. Pittsburgh just looked they were like they were moving in slow motion, and San Francisco was just busting them. New Orleans Saints, that's a new quarterback. That's Derek Carr. They're falling in love with him. He throws for 305, couple of touchdowns. Saints post their victory. Defense, Dennis Allen, we talked about this in the preview last week. They do play defense down in New Orleans. Three picks, th- uh, three quarterback sacks in that Saints win. Cowboys, what an annihilation on Sunday night football. Oof. <laughs> it's not the phrase that's being used in the Meadowlands right it was now. It a beatdown. <laughs> oh, Dallas, 40 to nothing win over the Giants on the Giants' turf. Uh, Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, offense moved the football up and down the field. Cowboys' defense really dominant. Giants had no offense at all. Uh, by the time you're done with the statistics, I think Daniel Jones, the quarterback, threw for 104. But when you subtract all the quarterback sacks, they wound up with 40 yards in passing offense. The Giants did. What a – you think it's miserable in New York right now? Oh, Holy cow. <laughs> Cowboys beat down. Here's the surprise of the weekend. Somebody needs to explain this. Somebody smarter than me. Might be you. I'm not sure. I'm sure it'll be somebody on fans' forum. How the hell will the Rams go into Seattle and beat the Seahawks? 334 yards passing by Matthew Stafford with almost a brand-new offensive line. Does not have Cooper Cup. His two kid receivers combined to catch 16 passes in yesterday's game. And the defense stoned Seattle. Russell Wilson threw for a couple of touchdowns. There was hardly any running game. Did not hit any passes down the field. The Rams, how is that possible? And the debut of Jordan Love in Green Bay was not bad. Uh, Jordan Love, 245 yards, three touchdown passes along the way. Uh, they get their first victory. Chicago didn't play really well, and I was kind of surprised at that. Uh, the, the Bears quarterbacking with Justin Fields was really spotty. So those are the guys that had a real good first weekend out. And, of course, Thursday night football, we'd already talked about. Detroit lived up to the hype, mm-hmm. and they not only busted Kansas City, they shut the bleeping chief fans up at Arrowhead, too. Yeah, this was a a lot of surprising games, but that first one you mentioned, the Browns beating the Bengals. But from the Browns' perspective, um, like you said, they got Deshaun Watson, but was he the difference maker here, or was it really the defense shutting down the Bengals? Deshaun made enough plays, but Nick Chubb carried the mail on offense. Mm -hmm. Defensively, Miles Garrett and those guys just were in Joe Burrow's face completely. And you know, now now everybody's starting to think, maybe we should play our veteran quarterback in preseason games because here's Joe Burrow, who did not play and only had four or five days of practice. He sure did not look like he was in a rhythm or sync at all. Again, it only counts as one loss, but... Jesus, the stuff's in the division. You'd sure like to beat the divisional guy. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, the, the Browns, we, they've been so downtrodden for so long. So this was, I think, the biggest surprise of the weekend. Well, it's a step forward for them. Okay, on we go, because there are some other people who didn't play very well this weekend. Yeah, okay, well, the Bengals <laughs> show up, and the Giants on this list again. But uh, they, that Kansas City loss against the Lions, that was a real big loss. Yeah, a whole bunch of theories here. Um, Detroit out-toughed them. And I figured it would be a messy game because that's that's the makeup of Detroit's persona. Um, Kansas City, their pass catchers were horrible. Six drop passes, most of them by all their young guys. Um, I looked at it from a little bit different perspective. 
They didn't look sharp. They didn't look fast. They didn't look flashy. Now, grant you, there was no Travis Kelsey. I thought the route running was really sloppy. I think guys breaking off pass routes, guys nearly running into each other on crossing patterns, two guys in the same zone on up and outs. How's that possible? And then I think the intangible thing, Andy Reid's still the coach, and he's still X and O's greatness. Eric Bieniemy was not there, uh-huh. offensive coordinator. Eric Bieniemy runs the offense Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He is on those guys, hard practices, demanding. You look at how sloppy that wide receiver core was in the routes they ran. Not having Bieniemy there, I think, might well be the piece of the equation. I thought they were really undisciplined. Mahomes. All the great statistics are seen from Patrick Mahomes. In passes to his wide receivers, he was 10 for 22. Really? Sub 500 from Patrick Mahomes, future Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's surprising. And then there's the issue about the right tackle. Juwan Taylor, free agent, Baltimore. Good Mm -hmm. credentials. He was always lining up off the line of scrimmage. He was trying to negate Aiden Hutchinson, Detroit's pass rusher. Somebody went back and reviewed every snap. He was lined up illegally 36 times. Whoa. And the NFL threw one flag right at the end of the game. Because suddenly Chris Collinsworth was popping up, and the NFL guy who does the analysis work for the network TV said, yeah, that guy's been offside all night. And then finally, somebody must have gotten the message to the NFL referee throw a flag. 36 times. He was either lined up behind the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. so he could get the first step back to block Hutchinson, or he rocked, which you cannot do. Even dumbass talk show host <laughs> sees that. Or, yeah. or, you know, the third thing that he was doing was he'd be in his three-point stance and he'd move his back foot back before the ball is snapped so he could get out of his stance to block Hutchinson. 36 plays Unbelievable. he was doing, and they never— Never threw a flag. So Kansas City loses, only counts as one. We talked about the Bengals. Steelers look sluggish and slow, really hard to believe. I am surprised that Mike Tomlin did not blow a gasket because uh, they they really played well. They don't, they don't look like they're running a modern offense right now compared to what everybody else is doing. And, you know, Dallas just went up and down the field. Uh, I'm sure San Francisco went up and down the field on them. Uh, the Giants, 40 nothing beating all those interceptions, six quarterback sacks. Dallas was in the backfield with Daniel Jones all night long. And Seattle gets ripped by injuries. They lost their left tackle in the game, their right tackle in the game. They're down two defensive backs. Then they lost one of their, their top receivers, Katie Metcalf. And Geno Smith, didn't. he just looked ordinary yesterday after having such a, a banner season. So that's kind of the summary of who lost and why they lost. Well, I want to go and talk a little bit about the two quarterbacks that signed the big deals, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, and they both lost week one. So do you think maybe they're feeling that pressure like they have to perform? I mean, what's your take on that? Well, I don't think Herbert played a bad game. Mm -hmm. Justin threw for 226 and one touchdown, and they ran the hell out of the ball. So I think he played possible Justin Herbert football. I think the Burrow thing is all related to the calf and the fact that he got hurt like the second day of training camp, and he was out four to five weeks, and they finally came back. He only practiced 
a chunk of the last five days before the start of the season. Oh, okay. So I, if there's no physical setback, I think Burrow will come back. But they didn't play at the tempo that we've seen Cincinnati play at where mm-hmm. – John, you're on defense, you're on your back heels, and we're coming down the field right now. What are you going to do about that? Yeah. That did not occur in that Cincinnati game. Okay, from pro football, let's go to college football. College football, the Aztecs against the Bruins is a big game in Mission Valley. Oh, San Diego State is not whom we thought they would be. Hmm. And I think that's that's got to be the headline right now. They lose to a mad scientist. Chip Kelly just opened up the playbook, and he just hit them with all kinds of things that uh, nobody had really seen before. Uh, Dante Moore, freshman quarterback, 290 yards passing, three touchdowns. He came to the line of scrimmage under center. He operated out of the shotgun. They went spread. They went no huddle. They lined up in the old-fashioned three backs down on the goal line. I mean, they mugged San Diego State. Aztecs had no answer at all. Excuse me. When would Brady Hoke's defense give up the kind of yardage they gave up? They gave up three touchdowns in the second quarter. They gave up 550 yards to UCLA. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. That's not the (laughs) phrase Brady used at the Mm -hmm. end of the game. Uh, They're giving up 300 yards a game passing. They had to replace all their defensive linemen. They don't have any pass rush right now. And the only time they get there is when they're sending people. And I don't think they want to blitz on a play-by-play basis. Uh, Jalen Maiden struggled. Three interceptions, three sacks, nine pressures, ten hits. I give the kid credit for having a heart of steel because he got battered. He kept picking himself up off the floor. Uh, Offensive line, sometimes hot, sometimes cold. They're not powering the football. I know the week before they ran for 300, but that's Division One AA Idaho State. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got some challenges here ahead of them. And, you know, they dropped a, an open pass in the end zone. There should have been a touchdown. They threw a pick that deflected at the one-yard line off a wide-open running back. Up in the air, UCLA snared that as defensive stop in the end zone. They left 14 points on the field, but they were never, ever going to stop UCLA. You see flashes in Ryan Lindley's offense with the tight ends and the other guys that this could be pretty good, but there has been no consistency at all. And when you when you don't have consistency going down the field throwing and you can't get a pass rush and a secondary is just getting torched, a lot of work to be done. Doesn't get any easier, though. Now they go to Oregon State, which is feeling really good about mm-hmm. themselves for another non-conference game, and then they get Boise, and then they get Air Force back-to-back. So they they got some challenges. Please, please don't tell me we're going to be doing the next couple of podcasts in the wake of a three-game losing streak. They better figure this thing out. Well, I think in social media, the Aztec fans are really upset. You know, they're angry at Brady Hoke. We need a new, you know, a new head coach. But, you know, the program has regressed since the Rocky Long era. I mean, what do they need to do to turn this around? Well, quarterbacking's been an issue. Uh, you know, defections of players. NFL draft has been an issue. Transfer portal has really been an issue. There's been a constant churn of having to replace guys who you thought were going to be there for two to three years that are not there for two to three years. Um, they're putting guys in the NFL. They've done a really good job in terms of developing defensive players. But I don't know. Maybe this is a, a bit of a bump in the cycle down. But quarterbacking... To me, more than anything else, 
This conference got throwers. You need to have throwers. And we're not talking about guys you hope are going to throw incomplete passes. We're talking about legitimate studs who can get it down the field. Has mm-hmm. not happened in recent years. What was the attendance figure at Snapdragon? Did the fans show up? Well, you know, they said we distributed, I think it was 32,000 tickets distributed. Mm-hmm. 8,000 of those are free to the students. Not all the students claim the free tickets. I think in the house might have been 22,000 actually turnstile paid count. That's not very good to me. Well, I saw a photo that Mark Ziegler posted on Twitter and the, the show, the student section basically left at halftime. And that, that's happened each of those home games. Wow. So they are who they are. They're the ones that have the stadium. They built the stadium the way they built the stadium. I think there's something flawed about the the signature, the way the stadium faces. Mm-hmm. This is another argument for another time. Half the stadium bakes in the sun all the day because half the stadium faces the West. But, you know, all, all college football, well, not all, but almost all college football stadiums don't have shade. I mean, I've been to the, the Oklahoma Sooner Stadium. And, yeah, there's one, you know, press boxes that kind of create shade. But, yeah, you bake in the sun. I mean, that's a common thing in college football. What, these San Diego fans just want to be, you know, sipping on their, on their margaritas while they're in the shade and, and chilling. You're a native Californian. What the hell are you asking me for? I'm not from here. <laughs> that's you. So that's where we are. But that, that stadium thing, that's, that's another topic uh, for another day. Uh, next college football story, because this story is not going away. And I think you and I projected there was trouble coming maybe a month ago. Yeah. I mean, and then this, is, this story keeps evolving. And I'll tell you what, the fans love getting the latest information on this. Our viewership on Pac-12 News is really hot. Friday night, Oregon State and Washington State's lawyers filed lawsuit against the commissioner, filed lawsuit against the Pac-12 conference, whatever's left of it. They are arguing over the assets in the conference office, supposedly $55 million. That's the amount of money that is there. They're arguing who's going to control the NCAA March Madness units. That's the amount of money that's paid over a five-year span to any team that plays in March Madness. They're arguing, why is the commissioner calling a board of directors meeting? The 10 schools that left lose their board of directors seat immediately. USC, UCLA has not been part of the decision-making process since they left a year ago. Oregon State, Washington State want to know why the hell the commissioner is calling an emergency meeting to talk about the assets and the bank accounts. And why would you include the eight latest schools that vacated. Mm-hmm. So they've asked, they're filing a lawsuit and they're asking for a restraining order to freeze everything in that office that nobody can make a decision about the business of the PAC 12, including the eight schools, board of director members who should not be sitting at the table any longer. This is really deep. This is complicated. This is messy. We'll see if the restraining order gets issued by Wednesday of this week, and then we'll see then where this lawsuit goes. $55 million in all the March Madness units, that's a lot of money. Now, SC or UCLA, who go to the NCAA tournament, say, we earned those units. Mm-hmm. We should be allowed to continue to collect the units that we earned, even though we're going to the Big Ten or, or to the Big 12 conference. But that's that's the structure of what's being argued about now. I knew this was coming. We talked about it weeks ago. Yeah. 
if 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 uh, if they have to liquidate those assets, game over for the Pac-12, right? I mean, yeah. it, it would just be completely disintegrated. But we were talking about a similar argument when the Aztecs were supposedly leaving the Mountain West and maybe going to the Pac-12, and they had earned NCAA tournament credits in for for you know years down the road, and we thought that that was justified that San Diego State earned that and it was le- legit. And now I'm wondering. Are we applying a double standard here? You know, does UCLA and USC and all those guys, do they deserve it as well? You can make a very fair argument. I, I buy your theory that the Aztecs earned it, that five-year group of payments, so they should be allowed to keep that money. And I think the same unit situation exists with UCLA basketball, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But there's $55 million in the bank account. I don't know that the schools that defected have any right to say we want our share of that fifty-five million that's gone into the league coffers from past TV contracts. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple different arguing points there. So that's the latest on the Pac-12. We'll continue to keep you updated. One other college story, and this is bad. Yeah, really bad. And just, I mean, Michigan State's had their fair share of scandals, and here's another one. That's Mel Tucker, head coach. He has been removed. He will be fired. This guy signed a 10-year contract. He went to Colorado and defected real early. He was there maybe a year and a half, and he he walked out on his contract to go back to Michigan State as alma mater. The background story is, as we're well aware, universities are dealing with incidents with athletes, sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape. There's a woman by the name of Brenda Tucker, I believe it is. She was a rape victim at Iowa State way back. Went through all the counseling. She formed a foundation, a business, and she has worked with the NCAA to take her foundation and visit college campuses and conduct meetings and seminars with college athletes about their responsibility and their relationships with women. She was here at San Diego State Mm. in the Matarizes situation. Anyhow, she's hired as a consultant at Michigan State. She goes in two years in a row and makes speeches and seminars and interviews with players just to provide the basis of the information. Mel Tucker gets on a Zoom call with her. And Mel Tucker starts to talk to her about sexual topics. (laughs) And Mel Tucker starts to talk about how he'd like to date her. Oh, my God. And then Mel Tucker makes some really rude, crude, lewd comment about being around her. And according to the wire service report on a Zoom call, he exposed himself to her. To, to the woman that was preaching about yes. responsibility uh, with athletes and coaches? She ran, runs a foundation. I mean, that's like, that's the, the wrong person to do that to. Can you say sexual deviant? Yeah, really. Social misfit? Yeah. Can you say about to be unemployed? For sure. Yeah. So anyhow, she immediately filed a Title IX yeah. lawsuit yeah. against the university. And the university has known about this since August 1st, been doing their in-house probe. Let this guy come and coach in camp and get ready to open the season and then just removed him on Friday night. It's a seedy, sleazy story. 
mean, you talk about a degenerative a person. This yeah. is your head coach yeah. coming home to the alma mater, and he conducts business that way with that woman. And this, this woman and her foundation, she goes everywhere to Division One programs around the country. And she meets with players, lectures, <laughs> the football program, the basketball program, about the students' responsibility and yeah. interaction with women. It's it's a ghastly story. Yeah, what a freaking idiot. I mean, this is – I mean – we should all know this. I mean, you know, you can maybe, maybe say, oh, a long time ago, it was a different world, and blah, blah, blah. And it was wrong then. But it's definitely obvious that you don't do that today. I'm going to spill the coffee on my coffee table reading yeah. the transcript of the story that had just broken Friday night about this guy. Well, didn't that gymnastics coach come from Michigan State, too? Exactly. So, again, another signal. You know? the team physician. Oh, he was the physician. Sexually oh. abused all those gymnasts. Yeah. yeah, the one that's in prison for the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah, rightfully so. So, I mean, this is a disgrace. So, good for Michigan State to, to jettison this guy. But come on, man. I mean, really. Uh, in this day and age, you wonder. You wonder about... How could he do that? What was he thinking? Why would he do that and not understand there would be these type of implications? Just just an absolutely amazing story. Hey, before we get to a halftime, I want to remind you, our podcast is brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Stores. Fix it, build it. You will enjoy it this fall. Nine locations to serve you. And, John, before we get to halftime, I just want you to tell everybody about Fans Forum Look at those people stacked up. It's like planes at the airport waiting to take off. Yeah. Tell them about Fans Forum and how they can get involved when we're done with what we're doing with the Monday Bonus Podcast. Yeah, we got a lot of guys here that are already lined up. Steve and John and Kenny and Bernard and I.I. is on the list there, too. So if you want to get involved in Fans Forum, you know, type in your comment or question in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and Hacksaw will respond with his reaction. Uh, yeah, the, the Fans Forum segment's always terrific. And we want you to subscribe to everything we're doing. Tell a friend. Share with everybody. Hey, if you like us, that's great. Give us a thumbs up. Give us five stars. We'll take the rating. And go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. And if you're a Charger fan, an NFL fan, I wrote a column today. Day on my website, the topic was chargering. <laughs> you need to read what I just wrote. Make sure you tell all your friends what we're doing with the Monday Bonus Podcast and what we're doing uh, on my website. John, we get to halftime. Time to salute our friends at Dixie Line. All right, yeah, let's go. And our thanks again to Dixie Line. We go to the second half of our Monday Bonus Podcast. Do we really have to talk about this? Are they still are they still playing baseball? <laughs> I mean, just what a disgrace this t- this team has turned into, and then they get smoked on Sunday, twelve to two. Bad losses, bad news. The losses continue to pile up on the Padres. Now the Padres open the series against the Dodgers. Once upon a time, I guess this was a rivalry. Did you ever think when we came out of spring training? And we did our baseball preview back the first week of April, John. Did you ever think we'd ever have a day in which we'd be talking about the Padres being 21 games out of first place and having lost 23 of their last 33 games? No, no way. I mean, we were at a fan fest. We thought they were going to, you know, be the king of the hill in the National League West, uh, had really good World Series aspirations. The Dodgers were taking a step back. We were optimistic, and it's been a 180. Team has obviously physically fallen apart. They're worn out. 
Uh, Manny Machado contemplating immediate elbow surgery for what now seems to be chronic tennis elbow. Batting average down to 248. The batting averages of Tatis, Soto, Bogertz, all under 260 now. So it's really been a struggle. USA Today reported this morning the Padres' sources have indicated they're not going to sign Blake Snell. 1.33 ERA. The Padres are not willing to pay him $40 million a season. Five years, $200 million. I wouldn't do that either, although Blake Snell has sold me that he can solve his control problems, and the guy's such a bulldog on the mound, and he's such a workhorse that he can throw these 100-pitch outings. But they're, they're not going to re-sign him, according to what USA Today's Bob Nightingale has reported. Now, there's a, there's a double-edged sword here. If you're not paying Snell, who might well, could well win the Cy Young, if you're not willing to pay him $40 million, how are you going to deal with the left fielder Juan Soto? Why? Because they're both repped by Scott Boris. Ah. So that's, that's a big issue there. Uh, Padres reportedly are going to make a deal on a new center fielder. His name is Jung Lee of Korea. Plays for Kaiboom, 340 career hitter. He's 27 years of age. I think he might be the heir apparent to Trent Grisham. We've seen everything Grisham can do with its glove, which is glorious. We've seen everything he doesn't do with his bat, which absolutely drives you crazy. So, John, you're the one that's always made these comments from left field. (laughs) Your Padres are 21 games out of first place as they face the batter Dodgers. Where do you think this goes? Uh, I mean, I'm just, you're just, you're worn out by all this, aren't you? You know, and, and, and having to talk about it and explain it and, and, and analyze it and analyze it. And we're not really sure exactly why these guys aren't performing. You know, you always said it was, hey, I got paid. Did you get paid? You know, maybe <laughs> is that it? I, who knows? But everyone's looking for a scapegoat. Fire Preller, fire Melvin, trade Machado, you know, all of this. I mean, I'd love to have Snell back. I love the guy. He's just such a great person. Uh, but, you know, he's so unpredictable. You, you're not sure what you're going to get. And, and how much money does Seidler do? So going into this series against the Dodgers... You hope the Padres can kind of like poke him in the nose a little bit, but I don't know if that's happening. You know, it depends on the Dodger pitching staff. It's a big issue. But I will say this. I mean, Snell has flipped me rather than flipped me off. (laughs) Do you know his last 20 starts? His ERA is 1.33. It's just incredible. I mean, we have not seen that type of dominant pitching since Randy Jones back in the day. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Let's go from one baseball story to really a a worse baseball story. This is in Washington, D.C. Yeah. This involves Steven Strasburg, a legendary Aztec. He's had three surgeries, retirement at age 32. He signed a massive contract after the World Series season, has pitched 30 innings since 2019. They were scheduled to have a retirement press conference this weekend to retire his number and honor him. They canceled it. The reports out of the District of Columbia are that the Washington Nationals ownership, which has got the franchise up for sale, wants to change the structure of the deferred payments in the contract. They owe him $115 million from the seven-year 245 deal. 
you're going to have to go through Scott Boros to change the structure. And I seriously doubt Scott Boros is going to give Washington a discount because Steven Strasburg's career was ended halfway through because of all these different serious surgeries. He's, As I said, he's pitched only 30 innings. He's had two major surgeries since that. And Washington is cutting the payroll. They let go 14 front office employees and scouts within the last week or so. They have not signed the general manager, Mike Rizzo, the architect of this team, to a new contract extension. So this is really nasty stuff. If they try to do this, union's going to get involved. Boris is not going to give them a discount. Now, I can see if Washington goes to Scott Boris and to Steven Strasburg and says, we want to, instead of giving lump sum payments first five years, let's take the total value and extend it out 15 years so they can deal budgetarily with what they have to deal with rather than have them on the hook for $14 million next year and $17 million the year after. That's the only way this gets solved. But if they're saying no, we need you to reduce that $115 million payment. Sorry, that to me is unethical. Contract is a contract. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a, a contract is a contract. And if they want to spread this deal out like a Bobby Bonilla deal that goes out, what, 20 years or something, they're going to have to spend a lot more than $115 million. I mean, because of the time money with interest rates and inflation and everything else, if they, you know, the promise is $115, maybe they'll have to say, we'll give you $150. But instead of over five years or seven years, it's going to be 15. So you want interest on the payments, even though you're not pitching? That, that well, Because a contract's a contract. You know, I mean, so Strasburg and Boris are in a power position here. They don't have to make the deal. So, but most teams typically try to do this when they're going up for sale, right? Well, at least Washington has learner families. They're kind of getting hammered in the media back there. Okay, from that... Let's go to talk about what's just around the corner, the opening of NBA training camps. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, Lakers, are they looking good here? You're talking about the offseason for the Lakers. Yeah, this is really interesting. Lakers, I think, have won the offseason. You know, the whole offseason has been about this player is unhappy. That guy wants to be traded. Where is James Harden going? we got Damian Lillard. we got the, the whole situation with Kyrie Irving. Love me, love me not, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Lakers just signed seven-foot backup center Christian Wood. Oh, nice. Uh, kind of a journeyman, but the guy averaged 16 points and seven rebounds a game. Has has been very serviceable playing for the Houston Rockets and the Dallas Mavericks. So they sign him to a two-year, very affordable contract to come in to kind of be one of the rotation guys at center. One of the interesting stories is Anthony Davis told them right after the playoffs, I would prefer not to be the starting center going forward. I would much rather be the big forward shooting guy for the matchups. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, they make this deal to get Christian Wood. That caps off what's really been a marvelous offseason. They got Gabe Vincent, very good point guard Miami. They got Torian Prince, came out of Detroit. Cam Reddish is a young three-point shooter who yet to blossom completely, been with the Knicks. And they got Jackson Hayes, another big backup center who came from Texas. In addition, they signed a star contract to Austin Reeves, kept him from going on the free agent market, re-signed Rui Hachimura, who played very well at the end of the season, and, and gave a multi-year extension, not crazy money, but to D'Angelo Russell. I think the Lakers, top to bottom, have had just a really, really good offseason. Yeah, but that's all the supporting cast, right? So it really comes down to LeBron and AD. But if you got good players who can play a lot of roles, and Christian yeah. Wood 
and Austin Reeves and Rui have played pretty good support roles. And we saw how the Lakers finished the season really upbeat mm-hmm. after the trade deadline. Now you add Christian Wood in the equation with all the other free agents they just signed. I like that roster. Do you, do you think the Lakers have a shot here? I mean, how far did they get? They got to the championship game, right, in the uh, in the West, didn't West. they? But they, they, there's a lot of history of injuries here. Yeah. But they got a better roster right now than the roster they gave us at the end of the season when they kind of ran uphill and forged their way mm-hmm. into postseason. So that one bears distance. Uh, last topic on the table. Come to net. You might get aced. Brown strokes. Go ahead. Yeah, this is great. I mean, it was great to see an American win the U.S. Open. And what a great story that line, line that is. And all the celebrities in the stands there in New York. Yeah, U.S. Open is now history. The great star, Novak Djokovic, Serbia, won the men's. Just grinded his way to a victory over Danilo Medvedev. Uh, it was a really physical force. It was a long, long match. When they had one rally, had 32 shots. One set took an hour 44 to play. They were acing each other, pounding balls all over the court. Jokovic wins his 24th Grand Slam, and this Incredible. this is a special player. The other storyline is we now have the heir apparent to Serena Williams, who stepped aside last year. And what Coco Goff has done as an 18- and 19-year-old, is spectacular. She is so mature beyond her years. It's phenomenal. She rallies. She was down 2-6 after the first set to Arena Sabalenka. She came back and won 6-2, 6-3. Nice. And I've watched a lot of, of the great stars in the women's scene. I don't know that I've seen anybody in modern-day tennis cover the court, the full depth of the court, the way Coco does. She made some unbelievable shots and rallies, unbelievable responses, and then placement of ball. And she had to, early on when she was down six to two, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a blowout. She's not ready for this. She solved the power serves of Sabalenka, who was just, it was all power all the time. And then she made Sabalenka run all over the court to get the return shots. I was so impressed. She won 12 of the final 15 games in coming from behind. And the other thing was really cool, Chrissy Everett Lloyd. And, of course, we talked about her relationship with Martina Navratilova. They're both cancer survivors and have now become close, intricate friends. They were both there and both were honored uh, at the Arthur Ashe Stadium. It was it was a really cool uh, U.S. Open, if you like tennis. Yeah, you know, I, it's funny because I watch uh, in the mornings. I'll watch the national news on CBS. <laughs> and, and it's Gail King and, and – uh, Who's the other guy? He played in the NFL. He's on that show. But anyways, they were all in on the U.S. Open and and just talking about all these great storylines. Great to see an American, a 19-year-old. That's amazing. Do you think Jokovic is the best men's tennis player of all time? We've gone through eras. You know, how do you compare Bjorn Borg, Jimmy Connors, the feistiness of McEnroe? How do you compare that to what we just had, uh, Roger Federer? And some of the other great ones of this modern era, but twenty-four Grand Slams—that's about as good as it gets. Because he just—he just passed, bypassed Agassi, he bypassed a uh, Federer. Twenty-four Grand Slams. So different eras, different styles. That's tough to compare. But modern day, he's right there with the equal of the, this other group that has just kind of stepped away. And, and he's kind of a prickly guy, right, with the oh. whole vaccine thing and, and everything else. All that controversy followed him. And wasn't he, like, not able to get into some of the Grand Slams? Was it Australia? They wouldn't let him in? Yeah, they wouldn't let him in the U.S. Open last year. 
<laughs> and, and he still has won the most uh, Grand Slams of anybody. Yeah, he, he, you know, he was separated from some of the Grand Slam events because of the vaccination crisis. And actually, he was here in a country and he was forced to leave here because he did not have the certification. He refused to get the vaccination. Now, obviously, that's settled and that's changed. He's a great player, really. But so cool. Just like that, Serena retires and Coco arrives almost simultaneously. Almost, and she yeah. is really, a really good. Up next, Fans Forum. Get ready for that. Want to remind you, our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center stores. Get summer project, fall project savings at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center. Power tools, paint, doors, windows, decking, outdoor lighting, patio furniture, Everything you need inside or outside. And check out the great fall values at DixieLine.com. DixieLine, fix it, build it, and enjoy it. <laughs> and here come the questions because we got answers. John, fans forum, let it rip. Okay, John says here, hey, Chargers are going to Charger. Note to Austin <laughs> Eckler, remember the only way a Charger gets to wear a Super Bowl ring is with their new team. Ask Lance Allworth, Rodney Harrison, or Fred Dean. Lord, you're in your sale. Uh, yeah, and end result, the Chargers just don't have answers. And I will pose this question, and you can respond if you wish. And I happen to like this guy, but the scoreboard does not lie. Is Brandon Staley a qualified head NFL coach? He's a 500 coach now in his third-plus year and has never won a playoff game. And we just saw that, what Miami did on Sunday. Yeah, it was hilarious what happened. And for me, that I have this mixed relationship with the Chargers, you know, as they defected from San Diego, I, I'm i not sure if I want to root for them or not, but I'm getting sucked back in. But now I'm getting all the frustration again. So it's nuts. Here, let's go to another comment here. This is from Steve. Because what happened to the Cincinnati Bengals? Uh, well, as we alluded to, the fact that Joe Burrow missed five weeks of camp because he injured a calf, I think the second day that camp had opened there in Ohio, they just were not in sync. I don't know whether he was tentative, moving the pocket, not wanting to run, etc. was not accurate at all. I don't buy the theory. Rain, gloves. He's played in all that types of weather. Uh, I, I just think that he's not 100%, or at least he was not dialed in. Because as a team, they just did not seem razor sharp. Just like Kansas City. Chiefs did not seem razor sharp there. Burrow will get better, but that's a tough loss because it's within your division. Yeah, and, and it's the rivalry game there in Ohio. And I, like I said, I was just thinking about the contract he signed, and then he just gets... I mean, he didn't even have 100 yards passing. I mean, just incredible. 82 yards. All-time worst all-time worst in his career in yeah. Cincinnati. 82 yards. On we go. On we go. Uh, this is from Kenny. He says, when is Tom Telesco going to be held accountable? Well, if you're going to hold the general manager accountable, please make sure you hold the president of football operations, John Spanos, accountable, too. Um, I think they're tied at the hip. If one goes, the other has to go. Oh, Dad, you're not going to fire your son, are you? <laughs> That's a big issue. They're close. I mean, they are really close to being really good. But on the defensive side of the ball, they just don't look like they're a complete football team. And they're paying an enormous amount of money to Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, and J.C. Jackson. And Jackson just... He's not the same player that he was in New England, and he, they're playing a very, very different defense. So I'm not going to fire Telesco. If they fire Telesco, then John Spano should resign too because he's part and parcel part of the decision-making process. But um, 
you know, they played as the season wore on last year. Their secondary got pretty good, and they force-fed a lot of young kids. But, boy, right now, that, that was a terrible performance against Miami. Well, Telesco is the one that signed J.C. Jackson, right? So, Well, either Telesco or Spano, so they both signed off on it, yes. Yeah. So who do you think is the bigger problem, the, uh, you know, the kids, Spanos, Telesco, or Staley? I think it's X and O's problem right now because they've built that roster. They've got a lot of really good athletes on that roster. You know, and as much as we're sitting here and banging at this end of the table about the defense— at your end of the table, that offense is pretty good. And they acquired mm-hmm. all those guys, and they drafted all those guys, and they've developed all those young guys. So it's too early to go looking for panic buttons. But that was a horrible performance. I'm sorry. <laughs> they were chargering, and chargering totally. does not have, have a good meaning in our community right now. Not at all. Okay, okay. let's move on here. Here we go. This is uh, this is from II. He says, "Do you guys view Oregon State and Washington State moving to the Mountain West as a death sentence? Like many fans of those schools have been saying, TCU, SMU, and Houston all managed to get back to the Power Five. Well, they have. It's a big issue, but the, now there's very few openings available in the quote Power Five. Uh, Oregon State, Washington State are in a world of hurt." Because the Mountain West TV contract is $4 million per season. You know, the, the old Pac-12 contract was $20 million per season. These are not rich money schools. They're two of the poorer schools in what was the old Pac-12. If, if they could get a court to rule that the $55 million in assets belongs to the Pac-12, and that money's not to be divvied up to the eight that left, mm-hmm. that's money that could be used— to go to San Diego State, to go to Boise State, to go to Fresno, and to go to Air Force and help them buy their way out of the exit fee. Co-pay the 34 mil exit fee. If you give each of those schools 17 mil, then you can bring the top four in the Mountain West. You could join those two. Maybe you can find some others. I would assume you'd still be a, quote, Power Five conference at that point in time, although it'd be a weaker Power Five conference. Mm-hmm. You'd still be viewed as kind of being Mountain West 2.0, <laughs> being a group of five. But uh, I mean, I've talked to friends in Corvallis that work around Oregon State and people in Pullman that I know in Spokane, and they're really hurting. I mean, they're between a rock and a real hard place. For them to come down, it'd be great for Mountain West football. No doubt. No doubt. But for them financially, It'd be, I think it'd be catastrophic. And I think emotionally, it would really be hard for Oregon State fan who viewed himself on the same plane as the Washington Huskies, Oregon Ducks, after viewing himself now to be on the same street corner with Boise State and San Diego State and Fresno State. But they got a year to figure this out, and that's why they filed the lawsuit on Friday. Who makes the decision if a program is power five worthy is it is it the ncaa is it some committee of people that vote or is it tv networks that your best friends of the college football playoff Mm -hmm. that board of directors decides power five group of five that board of directors right now is arguing okay we have 12 teams going next year to the expanded playoffs but everything has changed we might not have five conferences that we could choose from the power fives so how are we going to meter out the available slots for the at-large teams? 
Yes. Talk show host, we always need something to talk about. <laughs> These guys are providing us something to talk about all the time. Oregon State and Washington State might be able to finagle something, but in the end, the BCS might say, no, you guys are second tier now. Concur. Even if they were to win the $55 million money that's in the bank account mm-hmm. and get to spread that money around to help these Mountain West schools defect, buy them out, that's not a guarantee that the college football player system says, oh, new look, pack six. Nah, you're, you're not going to be power five. <laughs> we move on here. A, a Monday bonus podcast. Everybody's got questions. This is from Emmanuel. He says, Padres need to trade Soto and recoup talent. Maybe trade for Trout? Well, Trout's got a lot of miles on him. That's the only negative about Mike Trout. You know, he's not been able to stay healthy. And that's that's a, a lousy story in Anaheim now with the Angels over the weekend, John, indicating if Mike Trout formally asks us to trade him, we'll do that. We'll try to put him in a position so he can go play for a winner as we begin our rebuild. Soto's situation, uh, you know, I don't think he's a 40 or $50 million a year player, but I'll tell you who does, Scott Boros. And I don't care about Boris's relationship with Peter Seidler, which has been pretty good, or the relationship with A.J. Preller. At the end of the day, are you going to pay him 40 to $50 Because he is surely not hit the way he hit in Washington. That was a 290 hitter with power. It's become a 260 hitter who walks a lot. And you're going to pay him $50 million? John? What are your uh, understanding of these reports? that the Padres front office is not paying money and making investment in advanced scouting and in analytics and all of those tools to make these guys successful. I mean, it seems crazy you would spend so much money on so many players, but then have them ill-equipped to win the game. Well, I don't know that they've stopped spending money. I think they've still got a lot of boots on the ground. I think the analytics still play a key role. Now, they may may make some changes as to who's drawing up the paperwork for the analytics and what type of data that they're presenting. But they, they they made, to me, a surprising number of changes a year ago. Some of A.J. Preller's best people suddenly left, Mm -hmm. disappeared, reassigned, or went to work for other clubs. So maybe there's some changes there. But the analytics, I think, are still the analytics. I think the people that are processing the data, that might be different people that are going to be part of this mix. Well, I think the fans' biggest gripe is that we, they signed Xander Bogarts to an 11-year deal. We already had Tatis to play short. We already had Kim to play short. Why another shortstop throwing off the dynamic? I mean, do you do you, like buyer's remorse maybe with, with Xander Bogarts? They'd never admit it. But 11-year contract for a guy whose stats had begun declining at Fenway Park? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's that's a fair critique. As much as I think Tatis is a really good player, there's no need to give him a 14-year contract. Not at that point. He owned his rights for six years, arbitration eligible. You know, they gave him a contract, then, they get, then he got hurt again, then he got suspended. There was no reason to be that impulsive at that point in time. And had they not done all that, had they never done Bogart's deal, 11 years, had they not done 14 for Tatis, that have this amount of money in the bank account to go get more players to put around these guys this year. So they got some real deep think stuff that's going to have to happen in the offseason. Okay, move on. A couple more here. Okay, so uh, speaking of getting players to put around them, let's go here to Angel. And he says... Thought I would never say this, but the Lakers actually laid low this offseason. Got a great feeling about 2024. 2024. I'll sign that memo. I think they won the offseason. You know, Christian Wood is not a superstar center. He's more an offensive player than he is a defensive guy. 
But with what they got with uh, Jackson, who came, and what they got last year with Vanderbilt, who came in the trade at the deadline, they do have a defensive presence in the paint when Christian Wood's not on the floor. So I think they've, I think they've got every type of component they now need to make this thing cook. Now, granted, as John would say, you, you know, LeBron's got to be on the floor for 65 games, and AD can't have a breakdown. He's got to be on the floor, and he's missed a lot of games over the course of his career. But I think now that you're correct, Angel, they've got a complement of different role players. And Austin Reeves is a star. I mean, he's a grinder, and he is a star in the making. And they found other guys now that can come off the bench and do certain types of things. So, you know, here we go. We get the first November and the season actually starts. I, I think it's going to be fun to watch how quickly this comes together. Well, last year LeBron was good. I mean, he put up big numbers. And um, AD was kind of good and not good, but he was dealing with injuries. It was injuries. And the supporting cast last year was Decent. After the trade deadline. After the trade deadline. You're right. And now they've added Gabe Vincent, and they've added another big man, and they've added Reddish, who's mm-hmm. a stroker. I I just, I like, they've checked off a lot of boxes of a lot of role players who can do a lot of real different things. So only time will tell. Got to keep AD and LeBron on the floor. If they do that, I think they're going to be good. LeBron willed them into the playoffs. He mm-hmm. carried them when AD was out for such an extended period of time. A couple more here. A couple more. Um, <laughs> this is a good one here. This is from uh, Christopher. He says, Rancho Bernardo, show me your lightning bolt. Yeah, Poway, quit pouting. <laughs> that stuff just came off the top of my head when I was doing talk radio. I mean, I I didn't format it all out. I just It just happened. And I, I go shopping at Vaughn's here in RB, and people just stand there, look at me, and they pull one of my phrases out of the air. <laughs> you know, show me your lightning bolt. So it's great. It's it's great that we had such an impact on a lot of people. You're an institution in San Diego. It's you great. Say I belong in an institution. Yeah, yes, I, that, I think that's what I said. Yes. yes. Okay. Let's get some social media comments in here. And uh, here we go. Well, yeah, talking about longtime listeners. This is uh, from How Now the World. He says. Hacksaw, haven't heard you in at least 15 years. Used to listen to you on AM 570 here in Los Angeles before Joe Grande and Matt Money Smith took the helm. I'm so glad you're putting it down for the working man. Stay safe, brother. It's cool. Uh, (laughs) Good run. You know, I I was talking uh, to somebody uh, about sports talk radio and what we did. I mean, I did it here for 28 years. That's a long time. And I did it on, on just two stations. And I got bought out twice. And then obviously with all the mergers and everything, I had the chance to do it up in Los Angeles, which was really kind of cool because we were on the big signal that was Extra Sports 690. And then that whole structure changed. But uh, so we impacted a lot of people, did it very differently. We were the first one through the wall to do it. And like I've, I've told many people, and John and I have talked about this in the past, what we did at the original 690, we had no idea that we were building something iconic, but we just came up with an eclectic group of guys that all had had it coming from a different angle, and we were able to keep it on the air for a long period of time before our corporate management screwed it all up. But you look at the guys that we had together, and it it really worked. We didn't all get along with each other. And there was a lot of infighting about space and ego and all that. 
But my goodness, we did some phenomenal, phenomenal things in Sports Talk Radio, and we were the first one on the West Coast to do it. Yeah, I mean, those were great times, especially in the 80s and 90s when you were in the build mode. I mean, it was just mind-blowing. And before the Internet, you know, we got so much sports content, especially from you. I mean, I just <laughs> you blew me away with all the content and data that you provided. The greatest thing I ever heard is Peter Seidler who, of course, came from the O'Malley family that owned the Dodgers. And the first time I met Peter, he stopped me at Petco Park. He said, I listen to you all the time. He said, I had to make sure that I was on the 405 before <laughs> 4 p.m. so I could get the best 15 minutes in sports radio while I was in gridlock. It just, <laughs> that just kind of blew me away. Okay, a couple more here. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk here a little bit about the Dodgers. And this is from Ray, and he says, talking about Cody Bellinger. Oh. Um, his 2020 season, he hit 239, which was before his injury. Why do Boris and others po- uh, point that out? Also, in he, his 305 season, people forget that his second half, he hit less than 250. His decline actually started in the second half of the 2019 season. Well, the agent will tell you only one thing about the viability of the client and the fact that the guy's hitting 319 with 34 home runs this year at Wrigley Field. You know, and and then Scott Boris just kind of said, well, maybe the Dodgers didn't handle the rehab from the shoulder surgery when my client was hitting 198 and 215. We talked last week extensively about that. He goes on the open market. It'll be fascinating to see what the Cubs are willing to pay, whether they think that they unlocked the mystery of Bellinger and Wrigley Field's confines might have had something to do with it, or whether this is a one-time aberration. I don't think Boris is going to get $30 million per year for this guy, but that's the rumor mill that he's going to ask, but that's that's the super agent doing what he does on behalf of his client. Will there be somebody out there that wants to give Cody Bellinger $30 million? Just like, is there somebody out there that would want to give Juan Soto $50 million, hmm. uh, despite the fact that he's hitting two sixty and has more walks than home runs? Bellinger, is just, it was so weird how he was so great, then so terrible, and now really good again. Um, so, yeah, who knows? It's like Blake Snell. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, concur with you wholeheartedly. One more. One more. Okay, we got one more. We got to talk about Coach Prime. And this is from Jeanette, and she says, Coach Prime did not run anyone off. They had 16 weeks to compete and demonstrate that they wanted to be on this team. Some did and some didn't. Some left before spring practice started. Others left after. Their choice for the most part. So please know what you're talking about before you speak. I know what I'm talking about because he told players you won't be here. You're not going to be here for spring football, you can go to the transfer portal. Uh, I will continue to be defiant that I thought his misuse of the transfer portal was unfair to the players that he inherited. Now, that being said, his ability, and John's used the word magnet, and I think it really Mm -hmm. is the correct term, his ability to cite, scope, and sign so many great skilled athletes is just phenomenal for the rebirth of Colorado Buffalo football. Now, that being said, you know, he can't run off 50 more this year and get 50 more replacements coming in. There's a limitation as to how much you can do this. But he's got a lot of really good kids, and they fly. He's got phenomenal cross-section of athletes. And what they've shown the first two games of the season, because the whole world has been paying attention, I got to believe that that place is going to be draw a, a point of drawing really good players out of Texas and Florida, which is where you really need to recruit to fix your program. So, Coach Prime doing well. I just I had the eeriest of thoughts. <laughs> this is terrible to say, but I'll, I'm the first one to say it at this point in time. 
So he has a really good season at CU, or maybe two really good seasons at CU, and he goes home. Florida State. Ah. He loved Bobby Bowden. Mm. Obviously, Florida State's had some decent years and then some crummy years, and right now they're ranked top five. Keep that in mind. There may be a day you wake up and say, Hacksaw, you told me so. <laughs> yeah. Coach Prime, Florida State Seminoles. Don't rule that out. Not tomorrow. Maybe a year from tomorrow, two years from tomorrow. Well, he's a hot commodity. I mean, if yeah. he can flip a program from being a one-win team to knocking off the runner-up to the national championship and, and Nebraska with all that heritage, this is incredible. It was interesting comment that one of the announcers made in the game how like the Nebraska head coach is trying to rebuild the program from the inside out by building the lines first, where Dion was outside in. I want my skill guys first because Dion was a skill guy. Exactly. Shall be interesting to see. There's a lot of games still to be played. Colorado, Oregon, Washington, USC, Chip Kelly, mad scientist. Mm-hmm. And a year from now, that's Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor. Oh, by the way, that's that's the horseshoe in Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of games to be played with big boy competition still to come. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast coverage. We do this on Monday. We do this on Thursday. We invite you to subscribe so you get all the alerts every time we put something new on our YouTube channel. Invite you, urge you, demand. You'll get a memo in your box about this. Email your friends. Explain to them everything we're doing on our podcast as well as on my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. John, have yourself a great day day. We'll see you come Thursday because I know there'll be a lot more topics on the table. What do you think? Aaron Rodgers does he have a good game tonight? I, Buffalo Jets, that'll be fun. Just don't think Aaron Rodgers has the equal to what Buffalo's got around their quarterback. Don't think that's around that Jets quarterback, but that's why you play the game. It'll be a fun game. Looking forward to it. Have you see, see you come Thursday. Thanks for being with us as always on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.